The war in Ukraine rages on. And what does Joe Biden do? What can he do? What has he shown us so far? He's hapless. He's a bystander. He's done too little, too late, and tried to explain his case at the State of the Union. It did nothing. It did not move the needle. So uh, what are his options right now? Blame Trump. Again, blame Trump. He must be responsible. Not enough, though. He always blames Trump for everything. How about this? Blame Trump supporters and blame the insurrectionists of January 6th. He's actually trying this out. And he's got to do something, especially when everybody knows that this would not be happening if President Trump were still in office. So, yeah, he's actually trying this out. And I, I, I have a feeling he might even have some misgivings about it because he takes a big pause before he lets it rip. Take a look. Vladimir Putin was counting on being able to <clears throat> split up the United States. Look, how would you feel if you saw crowds storm and break down the doors of the British Parliament, kill five cops, injure 145? Oh, I get it, sure. The country right next door would invade. No questions. Absolutely. Invasion. More. Or the German Bundestag. Or the Italian parliament. I think you'd wonder. Well, that's what the rest of the world saw. It's not who we are. And now we're proving under pressure that we are not that country. We're united. All right. So the rationale here, his reasoning, Putin saw the horns guy and said, now is the time I take Ukraine. He saw good old Big O with his feet up on Nancy Pelosi's desk. And yes, I've wanted Ukraine for decades, but now is the time. I don't think so. These guys had nothing to do with it, Joe Biden. Nothing to do with it. You know what prompted the war? I believe your weakness and maybe the weakness that has been demonstrated and celebrated by your party, like this, the burning down of a police department. How about this looting everywhere that was sanctioned essentially by your party? How about, yes, fire bombs flying all over the place and the smash and grab robberies that you refuse to take any meaningful action to stop? We all saw, you know, you celebrated Black Lives Matter summer. Most normal people were, <laughs> were terrified. Shootouts in city streets in broad daylight. You didn't mention a word about crime the other night. All right, folks, let's put that aside for a moment. I don't think this is what motivated, this is part of what motivated Vladimir Putin, perhaps. But this, this is what made the real difference. Are you ready? Our loss in Afghanistan, of course, Putin was watching that. This, this led to our diminished status, power, strength. And Joe Biden, you personally, you do not seem strong. You do not seem moderately strong. You seem weak. That's a big part of this. That's a very logical conclusion. And then, of course, your own words, your own actions, what you said out loud. Yes, the border, you can't control your own country. This whole picture makes us 
more vulnerable. But, but again, you said it out loud. This was a green light. You gave the green light to Putin. I'm not so sure he has uh, is certain what he's going to do. My guess is he will move in. He has to do something. Has to do something. January 19th. I mean, how can he not invade at this? He's got to do something. Talk about throwing in the towel. Blaming January 6th. Blaming Trump supporters. You know, at the State of the Union, did you notice he did not mention January 6th? Now, there's something to that. You know what's going on here? That was a big speech. Tens of millions of people were watching, and they know that January 6th is a phony beltway issue. They're using it. It's going to pay dividends, they think, for them down the road, but it doesn't play with the American people. They saw one riot, and they know about the 5,000 other riots that happened. It doesn't work. So he tries it in Wisconsin, gets less attention. They're trying it out. In the meantime, the January 6th committee, they actually didn't like that they weren't mentioned in that uh, address the other night. So they're hitting it hard now. The January 6th committee saying for the first time that it believes former President Donald Trump committed crimes after the 2020 election. The House committee investigating the January 6th insurrection, laying out a potential criminal case against former President Trump. The January 6th investigation is now saying to the judge tonight, we believe Donald Trump and his lawyer, John Eastman, were engaged in crimes. Crimes were engaged in crimes. Well, it's just a committee of members of Congress. They don't have any authority to file criminal charges. That's obscured by all of those reports. Let's go through the allegations. Uh, they're very broad. They're very, eh. The select committee also has a good faith basis for concluding that the president and members of his campaign engaged in a criminal conspiracy to defraud the United States. Mm. The president sought to use the vice president to manipulate the results in his favor. Uh, what else? Ooh, there's a lot. The apparent objective of those efforts was to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election and declare Donald Trump the winner. In this way, the conspiracy aimed to obstruct and interfere with the proper functioning of the United States government. All right, now these sound like dramatic words. Keep in mind, this is not an indictment. This is, this is not the Justice Department. This is a lawsuit waged by Donald Trump's own lawyer. He's the plaintiff. John Eastman is suing uh, the committee. Uh, the January 6th committee. And they're trying to, they, they're responding in this manner. It's going to delight the swamp, but nobody else. And like everything else, it's not going to work. But in the meantime, it gives them something to talk about. He was told by the Department of Homeland Security, by the, by the cybersecurity agency, that there was no fraud. He was told by the Justice Department repeatedly, by his own attorney general, Bill Barr, and then, and then repeatedly by the, the, the person who succeeded Barr as acting attorney general, uh, um, uh, Rosen, and by Donahue, the acting deputy attorney general. Over and over again, there was no basis to overturn the election. He was told it by the White House. Basically, he was, he was told, told by the swamp. The entire swamp is telling him you have no case all of those guys swamp figures especially the homeland security guy an avowed trump opponent all right we'll skip to the end and the fact that he was trying to obstruct the lawful function of the united states government puts this squarely squarely uh, under under the under the scope of 18 usc section 371 and i i just at this point i just don't see how um, the justice department um, can pass on this 
U.S. Code at Section C, 1371. Wow. This guy lost his mind during the Steele dossier, during Russiagate, during Ukraine, and now this is the latest. This has no merit. This has no value. The January 6th committee has no value. They're just throwing around wild charges, and I can do the same thing, although they won't be as wild. So Kinzinger and Cheney, they're my least favorite. You know, they're both on this uh, committee, and, well, we have documented that they have lied big time. Here we go. The president could have at any moment walked those very few steps into the briefing room, gone on live television, and told his supporters who were assaulting the Capitol to stop. He could have told them to stand down. He could have told them to go home. Uh, and he failed to do so. Uh, it's hard to imagine a more significant and more serious dereliction of duty uh, than that. For hours we were sitting there, the president didn't say a word. The president of the United States who runs the military, the commander in chief, if he says a word, things happen. To me, that was beyond the pale. What was up with his hand going like this? Wasn't that weird? And why do they shoot him from? Uh, uh, that was very strange. Uh, all right. So both of them lied. They did. Uh, and here's President Trump that afternoon, January 6th, saying what they said he didn't say. We have to have peace. So go home. We love you. You're very special. You've seen what happens. You see the way others are treated that are so bad and so evil. I know how you feel. But go home and go home in peace. Pretty explicit, right? And it wasn't just this video message. He was tweeting all afternoon. No, we go home. Respect law enforcement. This is important. So Cheney and Kinzinger are swamp characters, career politicians, and they are liars, and I am going to charge them. Why not? I'm Greg Kelly, and I charge them with being liars, and I charge Adam with being a bad actor, and I charge Liz with being obnoxious. And uh, yeah, I'm going to send a letter to uh, some institution and file those charges. Why not? It's as meaningful as their charges, but unlike their charges, I just backed them up with evidence, with evidence. So where do we go with Biden? What's going to happen next? He is, uh, he's in trouble. He's, um, nothing's working. Look at these poll numbers. And by the way, I don't think, even think they're this high. Where is he? 37%. Joe, uh, you, what did you tell Vladimir Putin? I'm not so sure he has, uh, is certain what he's going to do. My guess is he will move in he has to do something. And he did. He invaded. And a lot of the responsibility is on you. We'll be right back. Another horrible criminal is walking the streets, arrested 44 times. He just mashed fecal matter into a woman's face. And I might see him on the way home on the train tonight.
Hi, Rob Carson here. If you love watching Newsmax, you're really going to love listening to our new podcast. It's called the Newsmax Daily. I host it, and I give you the best briefing of the big news of the day, top newsmaker interviews, and even, yes, a few laughs. I know it's hard to believe. So if you're uh, driving, walking, exercising, just about anywhere, you can connect with the Newsmax Daily with me, Rob Carson. Find our podcast online or go to iPhone, Spotify, iHeart, Stitcher, and more, and start listening today. All I All can, I can say, say is, is that, that the, the fake, fake news just doesn't, doesn't get it, do they? they? First, nobody likes the war in Ukraine, and we don't want Russia in there. They shouldn't have done this, okay? But I also, I don't like the fake news. I don't trust them. Uh, sometimes they lie, and sometimes a lot, they just don't get it. They don't know what they're talking about. You know, for many years, we've been told that Vladimir Putin was some sort of strategic genius, right? You saw it, I saw it, everybody saw it. Now he's a, well, he's a monster. He's the worst thing that ever happened. He's crazy, all those things. Uh, I noticed the fake news, very little consistency. I mean, they can turn on a dime. When Mitt Romney, of all people, raised uh, the issue of Russia's threat to us, well, first of all, he did that. Do you remember? Russia, this is without question our number one geopolitical foe. They, they fight every uh, cause for the world's worst actors. Oh, the swamp scoffed Mitt Romney. What a buffoon. Mitt Romney calling Russia our, our greatest geopolitical foe, for heaven's sakes, when we ought to be working with Russia to bring about a peaceful resolution. The world was probably watching tonight, and they were probably confused about Mitt Romney's positions on foreign policy. Creating huge blunders, you know, calling Russia our greatest geopolitical foe. He goes on to talk about how Russia is actually the uh, United States' number one geopolitical foe. Really, Romney? You do know we're not in the Cold War anymore. A few months ago, when you were asked what's the biggest geopolitical threat facing America, you said Russia. Not Al-Qaeda, you said Russia. In the 1980s are now calling to ask for their foreign policy back because you know, the Cold War has been over for 20 years. <laughs> I am no Romney fan, but he was more right than wrong, a lot more right than wrong. And now we're back to the biggest threat in the world is Russia. Everybody seems to understand that. He's talking about a nuclear showdown, but... Again, the media is so wildly inconsistent and they change so much. You know, 10 days ago, was it 10 days ago? Zelensky was a clown. The comedian turned president is seriously in over his head. And now, and I quite frankly think he's doing a great job. Have you seen him? He's literally walking on the battlefield and he's uh, leading his country. And he's become an international sensation. He has inspired a planet. Look at this guy. It's, uh, well, that's a meme, but look, he seems to be doing very well. But this is more complex than most of us realize, including and especially me. Um, the situation over there goes back centuries, but our fake news always plays it, especially the ones who are dishonest, they, they have to have a narrative, a story that they can understand. The world is seeing civilians being killed in Ukraine by Russian bombs. The world is hearing the lies Russia is telling about those attacks. The world is uniting to condemn those attacks and those lies. How can you defend them? That's a pretty loaded question. Um, there are ways to get information out of the foreign minister without calling him a liar to his face. Um, but what did he say? 
I cannot comment conjectures, and there is a great deal of these now. But, you know, if you paid your attention probably to the fact that Europe, mostly and the United States, are trying to close down all the outlets, media outlets and information sources broadcast by Russia and from Russia on how the special military operation progresses and advances and how the right. army and the neo-Nazi... <laughs> he goes on for about 45 minutes. Whether it's the interpretation or what he's saying, it's extremely hard to follow. And then they start citing history and these ancient uh, disputes. Uh, but our media system is not equipped to really understand this. Now, as individuals, we are. We can spend all the time in the world on it if we have the time, if we want to. Most people can't. I do know that some significant things, though, are being missed in this story. And again, I wish Russia had not done this. But, you know, we hear so much about racism in America. What about racism in Eastern Europe? What about racism in Ukraine? Um, uh, there were some reports about uh, discrimination of uh, people with Arabic or uh, African roots. Um, what can you tell us about that? Is this true? Did you experience something like this? Yes, I experienced that. There's a lot of hostility um, from the white women. They really don't like us to be in the train. Somebody was telling me I have to stand up, I have to go out. If I don't, I'm not a Ukrainian, I shouldn't be in the train of a Ukrainian. I should find anywhere I should go to. So it's really, really, really sad that we have to face this. And they prefer their pets, their animals, even before a black man or a black woman. So it's really sad. Really sad. Um, it's not just that foreign news reporter who's investigating this. Uh, Rolling Stone magazine actually did a piece uh, about the what's being described as ugly racism, people left stranded because of the color of their skin, and so on and so on. The African Union actually put out a statement condemning all of this. Reports that Africans are singled out for unacceptable dissimilar treatment would be shockingly racist and in breach of international law. Uh, show the same empathy and support to all people fleeing war, notwithstanding their racial identity. There's also the issue of anti-Semitism inside Ukraine. Uh, wow, this is quite a poll. 46%, according to the Anti-Defamation League of Ukrainians, harbor anti-Semitic attitudes. Now, Zelensky himself happens to be Jewish. This is to say that the situation is far more complex than the fake news, easy, good versus evil narrative might suggest. And again, we know this would not be happening if President Trump were still in office. Americans understand that. But did they understand this, that the expansion of NATO at the end of the Cold War, which was, well, very, very popular and many believe done somewhat thoughtlessly. Some Cold War experts weighed in even at the time that this was a major, major mistake and could be quite provocative. Uh, and Russia would not like it and might do something like it's doing right now. This is uh, Ambassador Matlock. He was a Reagan and Bush administration official. He warned many years ago that NATO expansion was the most profound strategic blunder made since the end of the Cold War. Uh, he considered the administration's recommendation to take new members into NATO as misguided 
It may well go down, he said, in history as the most profound strategic blunder made since the end of the Cold War. Far from improving the security of the United States, its allies, and the nations that wish to enter the alliance, it could well encourage a chain of events that could produce the most serious security threat to this nation since the Soviet Union collapse. George Kennan might be the architect of Cold War strategy, uh, wrote this. We have signed up to protect a whole series of nations, even though we have neither the resources nor the intention to do so in any serious way. NATO expansion was simply a lighthearted action by a Senate that has no real interest in foreign affairs. What bothers me is how superficial and ill-informed the whole Senate debate was. I was particularly bothered by the references to Russia as a country dying to attack Western Europe. Don't people understand our differences in the Cold War were with the Soviet communist regime, and now we are turning our backs on the very people who mounted the greatest bloodless revolution in history to remove that Soviet regime. It's complicated. It's complicated. And now we have a full-fledged war on our hands. I hear that they have uh, brokered a, an agreement for safe passage of refugees and humanitarian aid. Let's wish those negotiators great success as they try to broker an end to all of this. We'll be right back. You're on the go and need news now. No paywalls, no cable subscriptions. Just download the Newsmax app from your smartphone store. It's free. And watch Newsmax TV anytime, anywhere. Remember this guy, Andrew Yang? He ran for president. Look, I was with Trump, uh, but of all the Democrats, I actually like this guy. I like the style. Some of his ideas were interesting. And he seemed to have a lot of fun on the campaign trail. back on the debate stage. I'm so excited. I want to give every American $1,000 a month. I'm not running for president because I fantasized about being president. I'm running for president because like many of you here in this room tonight, I'm a parent and a patriot, and I have seen the future that we're leaving for our kids, and it is not something I'm willing to accept. All right, so he didn't get the nomination, but he came, became something of a social media superstar, and he thought, hey, I could run for mayor of New York City. I live there. Why not? Well, you have to run as a Democrat, and the Democrat Party here is pretty weird, and quite frankly, it's full of bigots, and he's Asian-American, and he was treated with great hostility, many believe, because of his race, many including me, by the way. are you supporting the terrorist attack of Israel? I disagree with that characterization. Anyone be mayor of my city? Will be my mayor? Hell no! Yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty bad. And reporters were brutal with this guy, yet with Eric Adams, who happens to be African-American, and of course we just went through Black Lives Matter and such a teachable moment, they treated him with kid gloves, right? You couldn't, you couldn't challenge this guy. I mean, hey, he looks great. He's Eric. Black Lives Matter, right? Don't say anything nasty. 
And uh, quite frankly, they protected him. Everybody could see it. Wasn't a particularly good speaker. He was up against a radio host who could talk circles around him. And every time he got some momentum, they shut the other guy down. Take a look. Eric, you're with the elites. Uh, the calls to Brooklyn okay. Borough president in office. You've we got potholes to. galore, graffiti, all right, garbage all over Brooklyn. We have a related I mean, question. Quality Mr. of Mr. life Stewart. is zilch. You have to take responsibility okay, Mr. with Stewart, that with your partner. Sally? Bill de Blasio. Okay, thank Sally. you. Mr. Sleeper, we have to move on. I'm sorry. Mr. Adams, just a quick yes or no follow-up for you. We have to take care of them. Okay. We have to we show have to, compassion. I'm sorry, Mr. Sleeper, we have to move on to the question for you. Eric Adams, spend more time on vacation in Monaco. Okay. Who goes okay. to Monaco? We have to move on. We have to move on. That had to be dragged out of you that you went to Monaco while I was standing with the correctional officers Mr. Sleeper, we have to in move protest on. of Thank their you. conditions outside of Rikers Island. Thank you very much. All Eric Adams had to do was stand there and smile. And now he's the mayor. <laughs> he won. He won the thing by winning the Democrat primary. And in a city of eight million people, you only have to get a couple of thousand votes, really, to get the nomination. He's the mayor. And the city is declining even further, even further than the horrendous situation we have with uh, Mr. de Blasio as mayor. Now, take a look at this. An individual uh, walking down the uh, train tracks there on the platform. Watch what he's about to do. He's about to shove fecal material into that woman's face. That is fecal matter that he's rubbing on her. Absolutely insane, right? Fortunately, there was a pretty good picture of him, and they got him. They arrested him, and he was booked, and he was in police custody for guess how long? Guess how long they had him in handcuffs, even though he had been arrested 44 times. He was in custody for about three hours, and now he's free. Take a look at his record. It's a long one, okay? 40 times. 40 times since 1999. Three arrests, the most recent arrests without bail. And by the way, he's wanted for a hate crime. Recent alleged hate crime in September spat on a Jewish man and chased him down, allegedly screamed racial slurs, and I've seen reports that a screwdriver might have been involved. And now he's walking around. Thanks to bail reform, he is a free man. Yes, he has a court date down the road. This is New York. They say this is the most important city in the world. For how much longer? If you have any ideas, please help us. We'll be right back. Bernie Carrick will be joining us and also... The guy on the left there is Wayne Massam. He's the mayor of Miramar, Florida. Now he's a Democrat, and it's a long shot for a Democrat uh, mayor to become president. But he didn't get a fair shake. While they laid out the red carpet for Pete Buttigieg. Why do you think that happened when we come back? News breaks every minute, every day. You need the app, the Newsmax app. Find it free on your smartphone store. Then watch us anytime, anywhere. You're looking at Mayor Wayne Messam, a Democrat, mayor of Miramar, Florida. Uh, he's an up-and-coming politician, and if you're not familiar with him now, I think you will be someday. Now, he ran for president uh, in 2020, 
And let's face it, that's a bit of a leap going from mayor of a city of uh, 140,000 or so to president of the United States. But he gave it a shot. Quite frankly, I was impressed. Take a look. I'm passionate about the American dream because it's not a fictitious thing for me. It's real for me. Went to Florida State on a football scholarship. The legendary coach Bobby Bowden won a national championship there. Started a construction business with my wife. We were recognized by the United States Green Building Council for building the first lead platinum school in the Southeast United States. I became the first African-American mayor of the city of Miramar when I unseated a 16-year incumbent. The city of Miramar actually was able to beat out China and bring jobs to our city. Seems pretty cool. But why did we never hear about him when he ran for president as a Democrat in 2020? Yet the media could not stop writing about the mayor of a smaller city, South Bend, Indiana, Pete Buttigieg, who ran for president, didn't win, but now is secretary of transportation. I have my own theories on that. But first, let's meet Mayor Wayne Messam, Democrat of Miramar, Florida. Sir, welcome to Newsmax. How are you? Good evening. How are you? Thanks for having me on. You bet. Thanks for being here. And first off, the campaign video is very impressive. You summarize some of your accomplishments, but that is a bit of a leap. Mayor of Miramar to president of the United States. What made you try that? Well, you know, uh, one of the big motivators was that, you know, Washington being in gridlock um, and no decisions, nothing was being done in terms of helping the average American people. So um, I figured that being a mayor, uh, we are very in touch with our communities, that um, America was perhaps ready for a new type of um, leadership. You know, in most municipalities, um, partisan issues are, are not paramount. It's about making sure our cities continue to grow. We create jobs. Our communities are safe. And um, those are solutions that everyday Americans are expecting um, at the federal level. So let me cut to the chase here. <laughs> I think Pete Buttigieg got all kinds of breaks, quite frankly, because he happens to be gay, which is fine for Pete. And quite frankly, in my opinion, it's irrelevant. But the mainstream media could not stop writing about this story. Uh, about his sexuality, which, again, I think is irrelevant. They thought for some reason it was very relevant. I happened, I, I believe you're married to a woman and you have kids, but somehow that was not interesting to the mainstream media. Call me crazy, but that's what I think went down. What do you think? Well, I think, um, you know, with um, Secretary um, Buttigieg and myself being candidates were very unique candidates. It was kind of historic. Um, and I think it resonated with the point I made earlier that this is a new type of leadership, an actual mayor taking that leap. Um, so I think um, the fact that perhaps um, Secretary Buttigieg, actually his campaign started a few months before mine. Um, so he was able to have that fresh look and, 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 and really was able to take advantage um, of that. So I think that played a part in it. Um, the second point I would make is that because of the unprecedented number of Democratic candidates and um, during the primary, um, it was very difficult to um, meet some of those standards. I know that everywhere I went across the country, um, it resonated. My message resonated. My story resonated. And I think that um, had I had an opportunity to perhaps get one of the national um, town hall meetings on one of the major networks, um, millions of individuals would uh, be able to um, hear my stories like your viewers are getting an opportunity 
now, and then perhaps would have been able to peel the layers back to see exactly um, where I stand on issues that are important to them. Um, so um, I think that perhaps um, because of the uniqueness of that campaign and, and um, Secretary Buttigieg getting a, a, an earlier start than me, uh, perhaps um, put him in a better position than my campaign. A head start certainly would uh, work to his advantage, but I mean, all of the uh, the coverage and it was overwhelmingly flattering. Hey, you know, take it where you can get it. Good for him. So what's next for you? What do you think? I mean, you're a man with ambition and, and ability, of course. Uh, can you give us a hint what you're looking at beyond perhaps uh, Miramar, Florida? Well, that's one of the beauties of this country, being a first-generation. Um, I really love being the mayor of the city of Myanmar. We are um, one of the fastest-growing um, cities in terms of our economy and the country. Uh, we're the 13th largest city um, in Florida. Um, so there are a lot of opportunities. So um, as I continue to lead um, our um, city, a great city of Myanmar in the mecca of South Florida, right between Miami and Fort Lauderdale, very diverse community, um, I want to continue to solve the challenges for our community while being a voice um, throughout the state of Florida and in the nation. I had an opportunity to go to the White House um, on Monday um, for a Black History um, celebration event with President Biden and Dr. Um, Jill Biden. Um, and I'll continue to make my voice um, heard um, in representing Americans across this country. President Biden mentioned the opioid uh, epidemic, and uh, he thought that that's something that can bring both sides together. In your community, the opioid epidemic, is that is that something that's a problem? Um, do you think that's a good idea? Should it be tailored? Uh, what are your thoughts on, on that being a mission that everybody can agree on? And, and how does it affect Miramar? Well, I think, well, there's not a community that the opioid um, you know, calamity has not touched. Um, all, all cities across the country have had some impact um, where we've had to respond to just the deleterious effects of the overdose or the usage um, and abuse of opioids. But there are a number of, um, you know, kitchen table um, issues like jobs. Um, I think right now, in terms of our economy and the infrastructure and jobs acts, I think that is an opportunity for all of the country to, to galvanize around, to build our infrastructure, to ensure that our roadways are, um, are better, our bridges are better, we have clean drinking water, um, that we're able to uh, maximize um, technology. Um, so along with uh, healthcare issues, infrastructure issues, there are a number of issues um, that we can uh, work together on. And I think the problem with Washington is that um, we let the minority of issues just gridlock all the other low-hanging fruit that we can do to make the lives of Americans better. Um, that's the voice I I'll continue to bring forward. That's the voice um, I brought forward in, in my campaign. And I think that was the voice that uh, all the Americans I was able to get in front of um, resonated with. They want folks who can, and leaders, who can basically solve problems, um, who can call a spade a spade, um, and really um, address the issues that are most important to them. You know, I think you're right. The voters want all of that. But the mainstream media, the elite media, the New York Times, they wanted to write about uh, a character. They wanted to write about a lot of things that have nothing to do with the issues you just talked about. So uh, it's interesting. And I wish you luck. And please stay in touch. Uh, Mayor Wayne Messam from Miramar, Florida. All the best, sir. Thank you so much. And feel free to call me anytime to talk on other issues as well. Okay, looking forward to it. And we'll be right back. Thank you.
The January 6th committee saying for the first time that it believes former President Donald Trump committed crimes after the 2020 election. The House committee investigating the January 6th insurrection, laying out a potential criminal case against former President Trump. The January 6th investigation is now saying to the judge tonight, we believe Donald Trump and his lawyer, John Eastman, were engaged in crimes. Wow, this sounds really serious. It's not. <laughs> it's a January 6th committee looking successfully, I might add, for publicity. Uh, by the way, yeah, they made a filing to the judge in a lawsuit that's being waged by John Eastman. President Trump's lawyer is the plaintiff, is the accuser, if you will. So much of this committee is a sham. I'd like to bring in former New York City Police Commissioner Bernard Carrick, also advisor, informal advisor to President Trump and still very close to President Trump, and Rudy Giuliani, the former mayor for whom he was the police commissioner. Commissioner, welcome back. How are you? I'm good, Greg. How are you? Hey, you testified before the January 6th committee. Can you give us a sense? What can you tell us? What was it like? Are they at all professional or are they the clowns they seem to be from my perspective? Well, let me say this. Uh, you know, I testified for about eight hours, about eight and a half hours, I think. Um, the people in the room uh, that were questioning me, uh, I think, were professional. Um, but I don't think they're really looking for the truth, because if they were, they wouldn't be making statements like that to a judge concerning the president, because they know 100 percent, I'm positive that they know this based on my testimony and the testimony of others President Trump had every right to believe back in January of 2021 that there was overwhelming irregularities in the in the 2020 election and there was overwhelming evidence of fraud at that time. He believed that then and he believes more so today as I do given what we've seen come out of Arizona and Georgia and Pennsylvania and Michigan and other states. The bottom line is, when I testified before the committee, they were interested in two things. What was the evidence that I had that was conclusive? As you know, Greg, uh, evidence is never conclusive until a case is produced in court. Um, that's number one. And number two, what they were trying to do, in my opinion, was have me contradict statements that the president had made. So when the president says there was overwhelming fraud, would I agree? And my answer was consistently yes. In Pennsylvania, there was this. In Georgia, there was this. In Arizona, there was this. And I did that for about eight hours. So, you know, I heard these statements that they made, that they made to the court, and I, I literally laughed out loud as I heard the, uh, the reports because it's ludicrous. So, you know, I agree, and you're much closer to this than I, that uh, the president had the right and had the, it was reasonable for him to have questions. Here's what George Conway, you're familiar with him, he's a swamp guy, he has some connections to the Trump world, but listen to what he said about what the president knew about alleged fraud. It's very interesting, I think. And the fact that he was trying to obstruct the lawful function of the United States government puts this squarely, squarely uh, under under the under the scope of 18 U.S.C. Section 371. And I, I just at this point, I just don't see how um, the Justice Department um, can pass on this. He was told 
by the Department of Homeland Security, by the by the cybersecurity agency, that there was no fraud. He was told by the Justice Department repeatedly by his own attorney general, Bill Barr, and then and then repeatedly by the the, the person who succeeded Barr as acting attorney general, uh, um, uh, Rosen, and by Donahue, the acting deputy attorney general. Over and over again, there was no basis to overturn the election. He was told it by the White House counsel. He was like told this. it by. He goes on he like was this. Told that by his commissioner. Attorney. Here's the. Deal. The people he's citing, you know, the Homeland Security guy, the, the the acting attorney general, they actually were not in a position to know, especially some of the issues that you were discussing with the president and in those state capitals. Correct. Hey, hey Greg, here's the bottom line. The attorney general himself, Bill Barr himself, was never briefed by Rudy Giuliani and the legal team. They didn't have a clue what we had found, what we were looking at what we were investigating. Liz Cheney, who sits on that committee, has consistently said there was no fraud, no irregularities, there was no problem with the 2020 election. I don't remember her coming to me or anyone on the legal team to determine what we had found. They knew nothing, but here's what I can say. The Pennsylvania United States attorney wanted to investigate and he was directed by Bill Barr not to. Somebody should be asking Bill Barr, why not? Why didn't Bill Barr go to Rudy Giuliani and look at the evidence that we had instead of sitting around saying there's nothing there when he knew nothing about what we were looking at? And that U.S. attorney has come out and publicly said that, has written a letter. He's on the record as saying that he was shut down by Bill Barr. If you can, uh, Bernie, tell us a little bit your perspective. Wisconsin, we have the uh, the Wisconsin Assembly Committee on Campaigns and Election Hearings, some compelling testimonies so far, an interim report. But the significance of this, please. Well, I think we're in a position right now where you have a couple of states that's just about prepared to decertify. You know, one of them, uh, Arizona, the state Senate in Arizona found and put out a report, an official report by the state Senate that there were more than 200,000 ballots that had mismatched signatures. In other words, the signatures on the ballots did not match. 200,000. Donald Trump only lost Arizona by 11,000 votes. This stuff is insane. It should have been investigated by the secretaries of state in those states. It should have been investigated by DOJ. Why it was not? That's something that the new House and the new Senate in 2022 should be investigating. Can't wait. I can't wait. And I don't know if you heard this little farce that uh, Joe Biden is pulling now, trying to blame the Ukraine invasion, Russia invading Ukraine on January 6th. It's really it's it's really something that he's uh, trying that. Hey, Commissioner Carrick, we appreciate it so much to be continued, sir. Thank you. Be right back. Thanks again. Thanks again. Have a great night. Oh, Stinchfield is next. See you tomorrow.